In anticipation of Super Bowl 58 and the NFL playoffs, BetMGM has a brand new offer for the listeners of the Just Baseball Show. Place your first BetMGM Sportsbook wager through BetMGM Sportsbook app of at least $5. You will receive $158 instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome. So how do you get this offer? Well, first, you're going to download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $5 into your newly created account. Place a wager in the amount of at least $5 at standard odds price. Once you have placed a bet, you will receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your wager. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions must be 21 plus to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get $158 when you bet at least $5 on your first wager. Do it on BetMGM. Bobby Witt Jr. is a rich, rich human being. Good for Bobby Witt Jr. We're going to talk about the pre-arbitration extension that the Kansas City Royals just handed out. It cleared their largest contract that they had ever dished out by more than $200 million. We also got to talk about the best first baseman in baseball and an interesting soundbite from the mayor of Las Vegas, Nevada, about the Oakland A's for now. Uh, All that coming in a moment. Jack Arum, Just Baseball Show, as always. Always presented by BetMGM on Wednesday, February 7th. You're headed to Vejas tomorrow. Are you excited to get out to uh, the Sin City? Are you going to drop a, how about how about that drive in? I guess that's why they call it Sin City. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, um, I'm going to land and just soak it in, I think. I, I, I've i never been, so. Really? Um, I'm, I'm interested to just like see what, I, I'm, I'm probably going to come away with some ridiculous perspective on it, I'm sure, that I'll yeah. bring back to the show, uh, but I, I'm excited. Uh, I, I, we're not going to the Super Bowl, but, you know, our friends at BetMGM uh, have basically made it 
all but that. Like, we're going to have a really cool experience. We're going to be on Radio Row, credentialed for, you know, the, the Super Bowl as well before that. Um, so, you know, don't even really cover football on my end. And uh, I know it's going to be cool for Peter and, and you know, the Just Great Iron TikTok account and, and, and his betting picks and all the things that he does there. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just kind of along for the ride and, and just going to say what's up to people in the media that we don't usually cross paths with because we don't do much football and uh, and just enjoy it. So uh, I'm pumped about that. And uh, probably if Peter was on the episode, he would mention that that five dollar for the hundred fifty eight. Yes free or 163 free dollars like it's an absurd deal uh but yeah it makes sense if you want to bet on the super bowl to, to do that with the mgm code but dude, i'm excited to check it off and i'm excited to really you know sc- scout it all out and see if it's a viable place for a major league baseball franchise well so the mayor of las that's, vegas that's the real reason why i'm there yeah the mayor of las vegas doesn't think it i mean she thinks it is but like she thinks they should figure out a way to stay in oakland more on that in a moment is is one of us going to change what's the word we're both wearing our uh we're both wearing our like athletic tee i think we're just going to roll with it um i'm not going to hear your negative take on vegas if you do come back with a negative take because as somebody that you know is very hesitant to sit down at a table i love las vegas the food scene is second to none. The pool scene is second to none. And dude, the people watching that you do in Las Vegas is amazing. Like, just sit there and watch people walk by oh, and you'll leave and you'll be thrilled. I'm looking forward to that part of it for yeah. sure, especially that this time of year uh, and especially with the with the Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> it's going to be an absurd people watching experience. Uh, it, it's a triple A ballpark I've wanted to go to. Um it's it's interesting too because I'm I'm excited to to just really get an understanding of what it could possibly be as a sports town, which is I think not really anything. I think it's going to consistently be well attended. That's why the Super Bowl. I mean, like it's like eight thousand dollars to just even go to the game. Um, and and I know that you know their their AAA team you know is, is done well uh, in terms of attendance you know, relative to some other ball clubs, but I don't know how. I envision a big league franchise, you know, being like consistently supported, but baseball wise, 81 times a year. Uh, I think it's a little different than a football situation, but I haven't been there. So I'm going to, I'm going to really take it in and, and give you my thoughts. But I, the the one thing that's going to bother me the most is, which we know is, is like, I'm going to have a five and a half or whatever, however long the flight is there. It's not going to be an enjoyable flight. And I always think it's nuts that the second I sit down, they tell me to enjoy the flight. And we've talked about this, like who enjoys a flight? I don't know. Like I watch crazy rich Asians on like any, like that's always a movie option on, on Delta, especially sit back, relax in this really uncomfortable chair and enjoy not moving for five hours. And Wes, the person next to you has to pee and watch crazy rich Asians. And I always cry at that movie. So I like crying on planes. It's good. Um, yeah, I don't know if Carolyn Goodman thinks it's a good spot for Major League Baseball either. Carolyn Goodman is the mayor of Las Vegas. She was on the Front Office Sports Today podcast uh, earlier today on Tuesday. And she was asked if she thinks that the area in Las Vegas that they are doing the ballpark renderings for is is the right spot for a Major League Baseball team. And keep in mind with all this, like you may question big league success. I think the Raiders are not a good gauge for that. I think the Golden Knights are a great gauge for that. That's and the Golden Knights, yeah. And, and the Golden Knights are doing really well there. And they're they also won a, a, won a title. Yeah, that, that's the thing. These NHL teams, they like 
the expansion drafts like beneficial to them. They, they these expansion teams end up being good in one year. So yeah. it's, it's it's insane. So I think that does help, right? It helped that they were like, what was it? The second year they won the cup. I'm, I'm not a big hockey guy, but like, first year they got there. I think third year they won it or fourth. Yeah, I mean, year like that's freaking insane. Even just getting there, you just you built a, a core of fans there. So like that's not yeah. going to happen with the A's. Like we know that they're gonna, even if they <laughs> spend not going to happen within the first couple years and so how do you win those fans over and things like that i do think that that is encouraging but it's still like twice the games too um i I am fascinated by that i'm also trying to rack my brain as to why i mean i love it i I think the a's should be staying in oakland and you know we should be looking into uh, expansion rather than relocation for Major League Baseball, which we've talked about. I mean, there's so many different. I know Portland's been, you know, now floated more as a city. Salt Lake City, Charlotte. Salt Lake City. Yeah. You, you could have so many different cities that we should have expansion franchises in, and Vegas should be one of them under consideration. But I'm just trying to rack my brain as to why Carolyn Goodwin would come out and say, hey, yeah, we, we don't really need this baseball team. Yeah, she said, um, quote, I personally think they've got to figure out a way to stay in Oakland <laughs> because like, hey, you get the waterfront property and you get the new ballpark and all that. Very weird that the mayor of the team that's going to get a Major League Baseball team is saying, I think they should probably stay in their old home. And, and there's so much like politics that goes into this. And I think that's the side of it. It's like a whole world that that we don't even really know about that, that a sports fan probably doesn't even want to bother knowing about unless it's your team. Like I, I remember as a kid getting really into you know, understanding the, the whole process of of getting a new stadium um, when, when the Marlins were were going through that process, because if the Marlins didn't get a new stadium, you know, Jeffrey Gloria was threatening to relocate as well. Uh, and in that situation, I was learning, OK, why Broward County isn't working, why Miami-Dade County was a better option for them, because, you know, they were willing to use taxpayer money to do it. Uh, why the Orange Bowl ends up being this location where they basically give it to them and say, if you build it here, we'll just give you the location. So like the, the politics around it, too. And now there was a lot of blowback because taxpayers paid for it. And it's kind of been, uh, you know, not the best franchise and not yeah. the most well-supported and successful stadium, though. I do think the stadium is nice. And if you're in town, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, I, I, I the, the politics of it is interesting, too. So I wonder if just Miss Goodman here, Mayor Goodman. Just has no interest in John Fisher being the guy who brings a franchise over there, knowing that expansions, I don't know if it's going to happen five years, 10 years, whenever it's going to, it's going to happen at some point, almost just preferring to wait and say, look, we've got other sports teams here. We've, we've funneled plenty over the last few years. I don't need some asshole owner, uh, you know, bringing the franchise over here. I'd rather have a, a fresh start with an expansion team. Maybe LeBron wants to get in or something like that. But yeah, you know, I, I just I'd imagine that she probably prefers that it's a star-studded ownership group and not really what is the complete opposite of that in John Fisher. Yes, that makes a ton of sense. One quick thing before we get to Bobby Witt, that this just came down from Alden Gonzalez. It was initially reported by John Heyman and Joel Sherman. The Dodgers have reached an agreement with Clayton Kershaw on a return. So Kershaw is coming back to the Dodgers. Again, injury will hold him out until likely the All-Star break. I don't have many thoughts on this immediately, but my first reaction is I'm not surprised this had to happen. This guy is not going to play in a uniform that isn't a Dodgers uniform no. in his major league career. And and that has become abundantly clear. Last offseason, I think, was the only chance for him to jump and go to Texas. He would go to Texas, if anywhere, because he's from there. But the fact that he stayed with L.A. 
and is going to keep doing these one or two year deals do the LeBron thing where he keeps signing one year deals. Like he's going to be a Dodger. He wants to go down as one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And you do that. You enhance that narrative by staying with one team for your entire career. He's got the chance to do that. I was just getting nervous. He might retire um, mm-hmm. because it, it was one of those situations where it's like, how bad does Clayton Kershaw want to continue to play baseball? If, if, if the Dodgers weren't willing to bring him back how bad is he like does he really want to play to go play Dude, elsewhere like honestly based on what it, he based on what he said it doesn't seem like he really wants to keep going that badly if it doesn't no. work out like it seems like he has other ventures in mind and i'm i'd imagine his arms probably he's probably sick of that shit hurting like i'm sick of right. my shit hurting and i haven't played baseball for like eight years like and my arm still hurts all the time like i can't imagine when you're going through that like he endures a lot and, and they manage him very carefully but the, the the other side of it that's really interesting too is like there really was no reason for the dodgers not to bring him back either because you, you can put him on the il instantly does not take a 40-man spot he's clayton fucking kershaw but on top of that they might, they're going to need him down the stretch, even if he's not one of your main guys in the postseason. Uh, he's going to be a really important arm for you every fifth day in the second half when you know you got to fill out the, the fourth and fifth spot of the rotation, when you're trying to manage Walker Bueller's innings, when you're trying to manage Tyler Glasnow's innings, when, when you're just legitimately trying to have five starters consistently in a rotation you know, for the duration of the year. I, it's going to be very important to have Kershaw there. This Paxton deal makes all the sense in the world now, because I don't know if you saw Dave Roberts at Dodger Fest or whatever it was at Dodger Stadium. He was asked about Walker and he said, you know, he he won't be on the roster on opening day. They will kind of backlog him. They'll work his innings backwards. Same deal with Kershaw. He's not going to be there pre-All-Star break. They're doing this thing like in a very calculated way where they're going to ramp up Euler. They're going to ramp up Kershaw just in time for October. They seem sick of this shit. Like getting to October as an 110 win team and running out of gas. Like their pitchers at the very least are going to have plenty of gas in the tank. They're going to run Paxton into the ground through the first. Yes. Uh, he's going to be thrown every third day through yes. the first half of the season. Old Hoss right, Radborn. Toss the, yeah, hand over the baton. It's 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 Kershaw's time. But last thing I wanted to mention on Kershaw, because I know that you know, and, and I know that like most people know that he's been still really good over the last two years. The, the thing has been like managing his innings and, you know, just keeping him uh, fresh and, and trying to just keep him on the field. But if you combine the last two years, 258 innings, 274 strikeouts. So that's, you know, 9.6. I don't like K9, by the way. I like strikeout rate, but I just, I can't do that right now. Um, What do you think his ERA is over the last 258 innings? Yeah, probably mid to high twos. 237. Yeah, like this dude started the All-Star game in 2022. I People should not forget that this motherfucker started the All-Star game. He's still getting... Not just getting out. When he's on the mound, he is still a frontline guy. It might not look the same. It might not look like a frontline guy, but and he might have the blow up start here or there. Two two eight over one hundred twenty six innings and a two four six over one hundred thirty one. Like they just gave up a shitload for a guy that was was lucky to do that in Tyler Glass. Now, um, you know, like that, that's the thing. Like that's Glass now's best. Like that's what we've seen the best of Glass now in terms of innings. Like a a a. a Solid ERA in 130 innings. So, like, I think people still forget that even though he's not going to give you 170, 180, 200 innings anymore, a, a, a 2 3, 2 4 for 130 innings is extremely valuable if you manage them correctly. 
what is the end result? Like, what is the end goal for a starting pitcher? Over the course of a start, a pitcher goes out to throw a baseball game. What do they want to do? Give their team a chance to win. They want to go as long as possible and allow as few runs as possible. And that's what Clayton Kershaw does. Like, is he doing it for 200 innings a year? No. But, like, it doesn't matter that he's sitting 90 with his heater. It doesn't matter that his slider is sometimes harder than his fastball. He's getting outs and he's not allowing runs, and that is pitching. I, I know that we can stray away from that at some points, um, especially the last couple of years. And, you know, I, unfortunately, like, we are getting to a point where, you know, the lowercase x is like a real thing. But... You know, like Kershaw is, I think, the perpetual reminder that the whole goal of pitching is out accumulation and run prevention. Yep. And he's still striking guys out, though. That's the thing. More, He's getting more than a strikeout per nine. The last thing I'll say is, speaking of strikeouts, he is 56 away from 3,000. Um, so that'll be a pretty, pretty awesome milestone this coming year. And as it pertains to Walker, I love that they're delaying his start, you know, to the season because just knowing him from the episodes that we've done and just kind of getting to know him over over the last year, that guy wants to pitch in the fucking postseason, yeah. man. Yes. Um, so I, I'm I'm pumped for him on that. And also, congratulations, Sam. Right, you just welcomed a new addition to the family, the daughter, ba- baby girl. Uh, so yeah, big congrats to Walker and Mackenzie. They had uh, their first child, a daughter, on January 31st. So. Uh, yeah, that's going to be good. First season as a dad, and obviously we'll we'll talk with him. Yeah, dad strength is is here, and I I think we'll talk to him on the February twelfth episode, Super Bowl Monday. Wake up with your hangover and and listen to us chat with Walker Bueller. Hell yeah! Um, last thing before we get to first baseman, Bobby Witt just got paid like more than it may make sense, <laughs> and we'll talk yeah. about that in a moment, but. Bobby Witt just signed an 11-year, $288.7 million extension. Bobby Witt was two years in to his major league career. Obviously, it was night and day. Yeah, he went 20-30 his rookie year, but he was not a good defender by any advanced metric. His OBP was under 300. What does he do this past year? He turns in one of the better defensive seasons that we've seen from a shortstop in, in some time. And oh, by the way, he was a 30-30 guy. He is incredible. The Royals just, i their largest deal that they had ever handed out was Sal Perez. I think it was $82 million. So they bested it again by over $200 million. That leaves the Oakland A's and the Chicago White Sox as the only two franchises yet to hand out a nine-figure deal. But I, I would really put the fucking Marlins in that too because it, the, the, the only they paid Stanton and didn't it, see it. it Loria paid him knowing that he was getting the hell out of town, backloaded the heck out of that, and just said, All right, you know, that's somebody else's problem. But I know that the it is what it is. But I would throw the Marlins in that in that conversation too. So, breakdown on Bobby Witt is two million dollars this year, seven mil in what would have been his ARB one season, 13 in ARB two. 19 and ARB three. And then on the open market, 30 mil, 35, 35. He then has three stacked player options ahead of his age 31, 32, and 33 seasons. Sorry, four stacked player options ahead of his 31, yeah. 32, 33, and 34 seasons, all at $35 million. And then entering his age 35 season, there are club options at 33 in 2035, 28 in 2036, and 28 again in 2037. There was a fun little glitch on Spot Track where he just turned into a cub in 2037, but yeah. they, they got rid of that. It's a shame. 
I think Total people shame. people were excited about that. That's just a weird stipulation in the contract there. No, but like it, it's great first and foremost, like really good for Major League Baseball when uh, you know these smaller market teams or or middle market teams are retaining their superstars. I mean, like it's I'm also so sick of seeing the fans. I get it, but seeing the fans of small market teams anytime you try to hype up their their young players, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, well he'll be a Dodger soon, or he'll be a Yankee soon." Like this has to give you a little bit of hope that you know with with the way that these contracts are structured with pre arbitration and yeah, the teams even you know the 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 lesser rich teams teams can still leverage that and be able to retain their players. And uh, I will say this is what probably the most player friendly pre-arb extre- pre-arb extension we've, we've seen, uh, but they get three extra years of Bobby Wood jr. And I don't know how many Royals fans were very confident that he was going to be a Royal beyond uh, that final year of ARB. So, you know, three years of him in his prime is, is, you know, something really exciting i think for for royals fans and you know now they they can buy that jersey comfortably knowing that he's going to be there for close to the next decade so i just did the calculation if he were to match the arbitration number and and soto is i think soto was a super two guy yeah this is his fourth year of arbitration so i took the league minimum and then i took soto's first year of arbitration his third year of arbitration and his fourth year of arbitration assuming that these numbers continue to escalate if bobby witt matches Juan Soto's ARB numbers. And we're not asking him to match Juan Soto's production. We're just saying that's where we could see him. Like in his third year of arbitration, he could make $30 million in Mm -hmm. four years because that's where the number could be. Yep. Through ARB three, Bobby Witt would be owed $80.45 million. Okay. Let's call it $40 million on the heels of that for three years, right? That's that's the control before the first opt out. So 80.45 plus 120, yeah, 40 times three, $200.45 million. As of right now, two plus seven plus 13 plus 19 plus 70 plus 30. He's going to make $141 million. So technically speaking, they would be saving about $60 million if he achieved those Juan Soto numbers and made $40 million a year on the open market. That is a hundredth percentile outcome. Yeah. And the thing is, is, you know, he's kind of close to his peak outcome, right? Like I think after what we saw last year, you could look at this guy and say he's an MVP candidate. And you know, it's funny. I was thinking about it because you and I had the conversation, um, yesterday about just the pre-arb deal for wit and and how it's probably the most player friendly one we've seen because you know they're they're not really saving quote unquote that much unless he's legitimately a perennial mvp candidate which i actually think he he, he very well can be but the more i thought about it the more i started to realize like you are saving because if you didn't do this now you probably were going to lose him right after the Part final three. year of arbitration because there's just some sort of value of a you know perennial MVP candidate it, just being able to know that you're going to have him for three more years so it's not the classic Atlanta Braves like we're going to take the risk and you know we're going to get you for you know 60 cents on the dollar and I know that's what happened with Ronald Acuna Jr but 
there's a reason why it's not happening anymore. I mean, these agents are are learning and 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 not allowing that to happen. And and also these guys are so talented now that I think teams are a little bit more confident. We have more data, we have more information that they can you know make these gambles, these really well educated gambles. Uh, and I don't, I wouldn't even call it that uh, when you're locking up a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. But I was just kind of thinking about it, and I'm saying. He really wants to hit the open market. I'm sure his agents at Octagon want him to hit the open market as soon as possible because he could be a $400 million player when that right. happens. So if you want to delay that by three years, you're not going to save that much money, but you're going to get him for three more years because by the time his ARB is up, it's open bidding and the Royals ain't winning that open bidding. So I get it from that lens and maybe they can even renegotiate in two, three years and, and you know, put together another extension off of that. So it it buys them more time too. So the more I've marinated with it, the more I understand uh, why it would be so player friendly in this case. Yeah. And you just kind of look at it year by year and it, it is cheaper than like any number that he'll check in at. The only one that isn't is this year. He would have made 750 grand. And the seven mil signing bonus, of course. And the seven mil eight. signing bonus. Really eight. Yeah. Gotcha. Seven, 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 seven. Right. So like he got that whatever signing bonus aside, he was going to make two mil this year. That is, you know, more than double the league minimum that he would have made pre-ARB. But then like ARB one, you probably would have checked in at seven. He's getting paid seven. He would have checked in at probably right around 13, maybe greater than 13. He's getting 13. ARB three absolutely would have been above 19. He's getting 19. And then if he is what they expect him to be, he's going to be a lot better than what 70, a hundred million dollars over three years. Like, yeah. especially in that market in 2028. And it is controlled through his age 30 season. So like when he gets his player option, he's on the other side of 30. What does that look like? I don't know. I saw, I saw, I saw a fun tweet kind of tying a bow on the, on the Braves thing that you mentioned. And like players don't want that to happen to them. Uh, Dayton from Nebraska at Braves America tweeted a side-by-side of Bobby Witt and Michael Harris. And I think that's a pretty solid comp, especially at the time that they came in. Michael Harris in 250 career games has accumulated 8.8 F4. He's besting Bobby Witt in every line of the slash line. Bobby Witt is at eight wins, and Witt is guaranteed, or Witt is pretty much guaranteed eleven for two seventy eight. It maxes at fourteen for three seventy seven. Michael Harris eight for seventy two. It maxes at ten for one hundred two. Yeah, I mean the, the the value on the Harris deal is is crazy. Also, you, it's easier when you have a second round or third round pick who didn't sign for as much, whose dad wasn't a big leaguer, and you right. can leverage you know that situation a little bit more. That said, I think the upside of of Bobby Witt is just so much more immense. Like I don't see Michael Harris ever competing for an MVP. I really think that Bobby Witt Jr. is going to get one uh, in his time with the Royals. I, I I genuinely do. Yeah, because I mean the homers and the stolen bases like. And then the defense at short, like I, I told you, like one of the most like confusing things for me ever, I literally was contemplating my abilities at all to assess, like uh, assess talent when when Bobby Wood Jr. was grading out as a bad defender, because that was one of the easier six, you know, sixty gloves I've I've been able to grade out in a, in a little while at that at that time. And then he was so brutal, I was so confused. And then now seeing what he was able to do last year, I mean, it's. You're going to get great defense at short, 40-40 upside. Like, it's it's scary. Um, and and I, last thing I'll say is Royals spending. Like, I know it's Seth Lugo doesn't really 
get get people going, but they're spending. You know that even that deal was more than what we've seen them spend mostly. Uh, going out and picking up pieces here and there. I I don't know what it's going to look like for them this year, but I am very happy to see the Royals actually trying spending and and trying to put together a good product because we've seen those fans, Pat Kaufman, we've seen Royals fans be some of the best in baseball. We've seen them hijack the all-star game for multiple years. Uh, That was crazy when it was Escobar. Yeah. Yeah. All those Royals were getting voted in. Like, that's fine. I want to see more of that. And and hopefully, you know, the the Royals are kind of getting, getting their fans back on board for that. And we're going to see, you know, Michael Garcia in the all-star game this year, even if he has a seven ten OPS. I'm sure. Uh, Spoiler alert, we are going to start with a Royal when we do the top 10 first baseman. Before that, quick break. Top 10 first baseman in baseball for the 2024 season. We do have two honorable mentions. They both come from the American League Central. I'll handle evens. You got odds if we walk through this, but I'll, I'll rip through the honorable mentions right now. Vinny Pasquantino of the Kansas City Royals and Spencer Torkelson of the Detroit Tigers. These are two guys that have shown promise in spurts. Vinny was limited because of injury. Torkelson was limited because of a weird funk that I couldn't figure out. I don't think you could figure out in 2022. I couldn't couldn't figure it out. That talk about breaking my brain. That was tough. I watched him like suck for a week in Toledo. And I was like, how like the swing is too simple to be broken like there's no way this guy can be this lost at the plate and then wouldn't you know he turns around and has a 30 homer season in the most pitcher friendly ballpark in baseball torque is absolutely gonna hit at least 25 homers this year i'd say he's a better bet for 40 for the first time than most other guys in the league Vinny Pasquantino, I'll leave the floor to you, man, because you think this guy can legit hit 300, probably. I think he can. I think he can do whatever he, has, he puts his heart to. It's like what you say to your children, you know, what your parents say. You can be whatever you want. I think Vinny Pasquantino is that. Like, I legitimately think he's. Look, obviously, he's limited as a first baseman, but that's one of my favorite bats. Going back to you know the the prospect side of things, he's the reason why I coin the, the well besides Ty France, the Ty France effect because I was so mind blown by Vinny Pascantino not getting the fanfare as a top prospect uh that I thought he deserved. And we had him on the top one hundred list for a while because I was just like there's I know he's a first baseman, but this guy's gonna hit. Uh, great approach, good field to hit, hits the ball really, really hard and and a really smart ball player. I'm I'm willing to bet on this guy being. I'm willing to bet on both of these guys being in the top ten. I don't know who they bump out. Like I think Naylor is a good player, but I I think by the end of this coming season, both of these guys will be in there. Torkelson got to see him in that like hot stretch in New York, and it was just a, a different looking Torkelson. The swing again looks pretty much looked mostly the same. I'm sure it was a small feel adjustment or a small little approach adjustment for him, but. I, it gave me – it was the first time that I'd seen Torkelson, Jack, and I know you can relate to this, and I had the feeling that I had when I saw him on the Cape, which was I'm afraid to pitch to this guy. And I hadn't seen that with Torque, really – not even in the minors through a lot of stretches. Like he yeah. was good, but like on the Cape it was, holy crap, how do I get this guy out? Anywhere around right. the zone it's going to get crushed. And when I saw him in New York, he was on that torrid stretch. He went deep twice, and it was that same feeling of like he had this confidence that – no matter where you put it, he was either going to foul it off and he was going to make you come into him and, and he was going to take you deep. And he went the other way and crushed one. 
How how long was he on the Cape in 19? Because I, I saw him pre-Team USA in 2018 and then post-Team USA in 2018. I saw him – it was only a handful of games. Yeah. Um, it was only – but I just even talking to the pitchers before, it's like, yeah, what's your game plan? And they're like, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, walk him. Throw it and see what happens. <laughs> like, Yeah. It was funny because we were at Chatham. He played with, with Chatham in 18 and – he created a sound off a wood bat that I had never heard before live, like ever, because it's, you know, it, it's a very, it's like sunken uh, in a little bit. There's yeah. like, there's well, like and fog. Also, if you ever get out to the Cape, go to, yeah, go to a Chatham A's game. I mean, it is, it is absolutely awesome. Yes. Um, but it's like, it's, comfortable you know what i mean it's it's small it, like yeah. you're sitting in a major league ballpark you don't get that sound i'm sure like vladdy produces that sound or like i oh, yeah. i saw chris bryant in his mvp year i'm sure he produced that sound but like hearing that sound in that comfortable of a setting i was like whoa this is yeah. unique and then after the game i was talking to the coaching staff and they were like i don't get why that kid would go back to arizona state like just go to a junior college and get drafted one one like the next year and wouldn't you he know loves he loves baseball 1-1. that's why he loves uh, it but yeah. yeah, man, I two guys that are primed to jump into this list. But jumping into the top 10, number 10 is Josh Naylor of the Cleveland Guardians. And Naylor had a better year than I was expecting, frankly. He hit over 300, 308, slug 490, 19 or 17 homers, 97 driven in. He had a 128 WRC plus, and he was a two and a half win player. He was a better defender yeah. at first base than I was expecting him to be. I thought this guy was going to be a DH he proved to be much more than that in 2023. Mm-hmm. And man, like Manzardo doesn't have the golden ticket to start at first base out of spring training. No, I'm interested to see how they kind of shuffle things around here. Um, because you look at what Naylor did last year and it's like, that is a really well-rounded offensive season. And, and we're looking at the, again, the, the link in, in the episode description, you can follow along to, to the write-ups on these guys, but also the, the really fun part is seeing who ranked who where and aside from Colby, I was the lower guy on 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 Naylor just because the position for me just demands so much thump. Yeah. That said, he still slugged 489, um, and and he still got on base at a decent clip. The thing with him is he doesn't walk a ton, so there is more pressure on the hit tool, and that was an issue when he was hitting 256. But when you're hitting 308, I don't care if you don't walk much, and that's what he did last year. He hit 308. 17 home runs isn't a ton, but enough doubles, hitting for average, not striking out. It's a really good offensive season. And as you mentioned, the defense being passable was, was big for him too. Yeah. Number nine, I you know where I am on this guy too in terms of this was one of the prospects in Tristan Casas that I said if he doesn't pan out, you can just punch me in the face. And I've, I've – I made that very clear in the call-up. I started to get worried in the first half of last year that someone was going to cash it in early and just stick me on the street. Didn't happen, and now it's too late. So if you were hoping to run into me and get one in, it's too late now because Tristan Casas rakes. And what he did in the second half was absolutely ridiculous for the Boston Red Sox. And shocker, me and Colby Olsen were the high ones on Tristan Casas. But, I mean, what he did through the second half, I think is really what we're going to start to get used to. And that is a combination of just ridiculous power, uh, ability to walk and get on base. And I think a field of hit that you don't really see too often from guys of his stature and his strength uh, over his final 60 games, 
This dude slashed 305, 406, 590. It's a 9.96 OPS, walking at a 13% clip, 15 home runs in that stretch as well. And and it just it just seemed like something clicked for him. I don't know if he found a better way to to earth, uh, you know, shirtless in yeah. the grass before games that just he was you know soaking in the sunlight a little bit more. I don't know if his naps, if he extended those 15 minutes longer. I don't know if painting his nails a different color started to work better. I don't know what it was, but something clicked for him and he turned into the player that I always thought he could be. And I'm really excited to see what a full year of Casas looks like this year. I like weird and he is weird and he's definitely he, weird. You kind of gypped him uh, under a thousand OPS over his last 60. I'm just going to give you post all-star break 54 games. He had a 1034 OPS. Wow. So, there was something about like, there, there might've been something about the five day break or the four day break, whatever they got over the course of that week that like allowed him to yeah, maybe he needed like one of those you know, quiet rooms for 12 hours. And then he came out and he was like, I'm, I'm a new person. Time for think, me to go rake. I think he just went back home to Fort Lauderdale, uh, South Florida and just went to Flanagan's went to America's backyard. No, hell no. Went to Flanagan's, <laughs> had uh, you know, had some wings and beer and, and and got himself right. I think he just needed a little home cooking. So earthing and wings and beer just don't really correlate. No, I, I doubt he's a beer guy. I, I highly doubt it. He a glass of like, red wine. No, some quinoa and Koinoa. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm here for it. All right. Number eight, Christian Walker of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Walker is one of the old heads on this list. Don't care. He is a perennial gold glove candidate at the position. Nine defensive runs saved, 12 outs above average at first base. No one does that. He He's, wants to be Evan White so bad. But like, okay, he slugged 500 and had 33 homers and 103 driven in. So he wants to be Evan White, but like, oops, I was way too good offensively to be Evan yeah. White. He produced a four-win season, 3.8 war. He was a 120 WRC plus, an elite defender giving me 30 and 100. I don't care that he's 33. This guy is going to be a middle of the order masher again for a team that got a lot better this offseason. One of the winners of the offseason in Arizona. He's going to age well. Um, and and this is a guy that just seems like things. You know, I know he had the big 2019 that kind of put him on the radar. And then you know, we had a short in 2020. And then 2021 was a weird, I think, banged up year for him. But something really quick for him in 22 and then just repeating that in 23, uh, I think really solidified him. Just doing it back-to-back -back years really solidified him as uh, one of the top 10 first basemen in, in the game. And yes, I, I don't really prioritize first base defense, but there's you know there's a handful of guys that'll give you at this position 30, you know, 30 and 100 or somewhere around that range. And then if you are a fantastic defender, that's really going to help you, um, you know, kind of get over the top or separate yourself. I went with Casas over Walker just because I think Casas is going to have the bigger year this mm. coming season. But Walker is definitely the safer choice, right? If you had to say, like, one has to give you a four-win season this year, Walker is going to be the safer choice because Casas' defense is a work in progress, too. But I think if it all clicks for Casas, I mean, we just said he had 1,000 OPS in the second half, um, Walker's a little capped offensively. And I hate saying capped when it's 30 and 100, but like what you saw in 22 and 23, I think is what you're going to get and I, for better and for worse, right? Like, I don't think it's going to be worse than that, which is great. And that's, it's, it's, this is mostly a good thing, yeah. but I think there's a world where Casas can be one of the better power bats in the American league. 
Um, and that's where he just got the edge. But I also totally understand that two full years now, back-to-back of 30 home runs, elite defense, and four win seasons at first base gives him the edge. I, I totally get that too. Yeah, I just realized that I went like entirely chalk. I had like, because we do composite rankings. We do an average ranking of the six of us. And I had every guy slotted appropriately. So I aced this list. Yeah, you I think you're, just, for me? You're, you're a rule follower. You no, just, man. Clap for just, me. You just did what everybody else did and just followed along. Just fucking give us number seven. Thank uh, you for Paul Goldschmidt, number seven. Uh, Jack had him ranked at number seven. Uh, I had him a little bit higher because I think this guy, talk about old heads, he's 36. This guy's going to keep aging like fine wine too. Like I, I, I just don't have much concern about him. Is he going to have a seven-win season again? Probably not. Um, the fact that he had a seven-win season in 2022 is absolutely insane. Uh, but I also think he's better than he was last year. Uh, I think, I think it was just a little bit of the contagion that was the. I don't even. What's the word that you would describe? What would be the word that you describe the St. Louis Cardinals as last year? Anemic. Yeah, anemia of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I, I think it just I think it just kind of spread, right? Arenado. Like it, both of these guys were difficult to rank, but you know, I think Goldie ended up still having a, a better year. 122 WRC plus 25 home runs, you know, in a down year in almost a four-win season. Like sign me up for that. He's 35, and you could take this as a signal of decline. And I'm curious, Jack, like. Do you take it as a signal of decline? Because his average exit velocity went up 0.6 miles per hour, which was actually 0.1 above his career average. Um, You know, the max is pretty much right around where it's always been. I don't like to look at that much, but that's where it was. The same number of barrels, barrel rate, roughly the same, hard hit rate, roughly the same. To me, I know I kind of answered the question I just asked you, but like, do you have any semblance of concern about decline? Because I think I at least negated the the surefire answer that he's declining but you could say that there might be some decline baked in there no i don't have any concern because he still looks like paul bunyan like he is the one person in baseball that i'd say like would dress up as paul bunyan and win like best costume at a halloween party his forearms even on tv are a sight to behold As soon as that guy stops looking like a physical specimen, I'll be like, okay, yeah, maybe I see the decline coming. But the reality is he probably takes better care of his body than anybody in baseball. And and the fact that he is still producing four win seasons at 35 years old, he's going to figure out a way to produce a four win. He's done this for 10 years and he he's not a Hall of Famer right now. I do think this guy is a Hall of Very Good candidate, and I think he is a Hall of Very Good guy if he retires in two years. I'm going to make my case in a couple years for Paul Goldschmidt to be a Hall of Famer because I think he's going to be that next wave of like, recalibrate your cumulative stats. No one's going to cumulatively make these numbers happen that, you know, that we're expecting. That said, he still needs two, three more years of, you know, I think of legitimate production. To get him, you know, closer to the 23, 2400 hit plateau, he'd be over 400 home runs, presumably after like three more solid years. Yeah. I think once he gets there with the MVP under his belt, gold gloves, he's sneakily going to probably steal close to 200 bases too. I think you could make a case. Um, but as of now, yeah, he's, he's, he's on the outside looking in. Other thing that fascinated me, 35 years old, this guy had 687 plate appearances. He did not take breaks. That was top 20 in all of baseball. I love it. Number six is Vladdy Jr. 
Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays. He's still 24 years old. He's going to turn 25 years old in March. Okay, bad year. What does a bad year look like for Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? A 118 WRC plus, hit 265, 26 homers, 94 driven in. Terrible defense. He's on the cover of a video game. Question, what does 2024 look like for Vladdy Jr.? Loaded question. Well, based on our rankings here, um, it would presumably be a 140 WRC plus, right? Because so again, let's peel back the curtain for those who aren't following along in the article. Shocker of all shockers, Peter had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. the lowest. There's uh, so much bias there. We have to yeah, ignore uh, that. Of course, um, of course there is. Of course. Note Leo and Colby had him at four too. Like the, we kind of sprayed him across the board. But well, just just to be clear here, I don't give a shit about Peter's bet. I and I had him seventh. <laughs> yeah. Peter out of eighth. So look, and Peter does at least provide very fair thought as to why he has him eighth. It's not like he ranked him twelfth. And honestly, when you look at it, we're trying to figure out what he's going to do in twenty twenty four. You just asked that question. I asked a question. The Blue Jays asked a question. Vlad Guerrero Senior probably asked the same question. But Vlad Guerrero Junior might be asking the same question. I, it's bizarre because it, it, it one side of it, you know, this guy's younger than Joey Ortiz. You know, like he was going to get his first, you know, real opportunity as a rookie with with the Brewers this coming year. Yeah. But on the other side of it, it's like okay, it, it, the the age thing's semi irrelevant to me because at this point, you know, you've had over almost three thousand big league plate appearances. So like, it's not a youthful. Let's figure out what was going on and I'm just going to continue to mature and get better. Like this guy was a triple crown threat in 21. If it wasn't for Shohei Otani, he's winning the, the, the MVP. Right. So right. how do you get away from that? And then how does it happen in a way where it's like progressively worse, where it was 2022 was a down quote unquote year for him, but he still hit 32 bombs. And then 2023 was even a step below that. So that's where I'm concerned is it's, I know he's extremely talented. I know he's going to be a good hitter. And I, I honestly expect him to bounce back. But if I'm going with a confidence interval here, of like who's going to have the better year next year? For me, no doubt, the five guys ahead of him, I feel, just feel more comfortable with. Would I be surprised if Vladdy has a better year than the next five guys we're going to talk about? Not at all. But I feel safer picking the other five. And, and frankly, I feel safer picking Paul Goldschmidt going into next year because his down year yeah. was 122 WRC plus with better defense and nearly, I mean, the fact that, the, and I know for first base defense doesn't matter too much, but when you are a liability like he was, I mean, we're talking about a difference of almost four times his war. And Paul Goldschmidt was a 3-7 in a down year. Body was a one flat in a down year. He has to freaking hit so well to, to be able to carry a decent war that – that part of it is a little concerning. I know that there's more to the game than war, but when you're a liability at first and you're only 18% above average, and it's not just above average for the league, it's above average for the position. Really, for the yeah. position, he's even less you know, of, of a above average hitter because I think the average first baseman probably had a WRC plus around 105 uh, since it's such an offensive-minded position. So yeah. from that lens, he was even, even worse. You know, I, I think when you look at... Comparing him to first baseman. Yeah. My saving grace when it comes to Vladdy is the K rate is just so low. Mm -hmm. And this was a down year. Okay. 
He posted the lowest K rate of his entire career. He punched out at under 15%. He walked at a 10% clip too. So yeah. I know that he's going to walk enough. That's something that, you know, 2021, he walked 12% of the time, but he had 48 and 111 that year. Regardless, this guy is going to walk at about a 9% clip, which is like league average. I, I'm cool with him being a league average you know, walk guy if he's never punching out. Yeah. But the thing with Vladdy this past year was it was on the ground all the time. If he elevates, like, I, I like the point you make where you feel safer picking really six other guys, including Goldschmidt, to have a better year. Like, it's the safer pick. But at the end of the day, we could be looking at the offensive numbers from Vladdy at the end of 2024, and it's like, well, he was the best first baseman in baseball. Like, we had that conversation going into last year. So, yeah, it's it's such a unique thing, and volatility, extreme volatility, lands you at six at a position where you have so many consistent mashers. So, all, all valid. And by the way, average WRC plus for a first baseman last year was 108. 108, Vladdy checked in at 118 with defensive liability. My question to you is, okay, we had a, we had an MVP caliber season from Vladdy multiple years ago. Yeah, We had an MVP caliber season from Goldschmidt the year before last. You can cite Goldschmidt aging, but we just talked about how we don't think that, you know, it's going to be anything like, I think a steady decline from, from what we saw. Like, I think he's going to bounce back from, from last year. So if Goldie's going to bounce back and he's been better over the last two years and his down year was better than, than Vladdy's, how is Vladdy ahead of Goldie? That, that was where I had it the other direction, but I, I would assume that, you know, Leo and Colby who had him at four and, and even you and Fink who had him at six felt as though you run a thousand simulations there's going to be more of them given where Vladdy's added his career and where Gold, Goldschmidt's added his career that there's going to be a, at least a handful of simulations here where Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s you know, triple crown threat again. And I don't know if Goldschmidt's quite going to replicate that MVP season that we saw a year ago uh, or two years ago, but I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. has a, a little bit more upside considering just how young he is, how hard he hits the ball and, and what we've seen him do already at at age 25 it's just a weird one to me because he's so volatile for such a non-volatile hitter i would have never thought that we'd be talking about vlad guerrero jr the, the volatile hitter right um i i think that's probably why i had him at six and i assume that's why leo and colby had him at four because you can dream on a higher ceiling, I guess, in 2024 than Paul Goldschmidt's yes. ceiling will be. So I, I guess that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, okay, yeah, I it's, bet it's on fair. a bounce like, back at least. It, 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 it's fair. It's like we don't think Goldschmidt's going to decline, but we don't think he's going to have that pop off sky and, high yeah, right. MVP caliber season, which Vladdy could very easily do if he elevates. There's a lot more that goes into it than just, oh, I'm going to elevate now. So right. let's see if, if he can do that. But if right. he can, it's look out yeah number five this guy to me was a slam dunk and i i i was are you 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 were with it of course you were the same as i gotta remember if it's whatever the number is that's what you had you were yeah. you were chalk across the board uh you had him at five as well yandy ds checks in at number five with the tampa bay rays and like i i think 
five was a no brainer for this was one of the easier guys to rank. Cause I thought it was, I think you kind of enter a new tier here and I'm not saying that Yadi Diaz is a tier above Vladdy Guerrero and, and his ability and things like that. But in terms of, of what you're seeing and what you're getting and what I think you're going to get next year and just the, the caliber of player and the profile, I, I think it's kind of clear cut when you get into the top five. And I mean, w- what he does is just remarkable in terms of how hard he hits the ball and how productive he can be without being entirely dependent on home runs as a first baseman. Um, he hit 330 last year, yeah. 334, 10, 522 with 22 home runs, uh, a 4.7 F4 and a 164 WRC plus. This guy hits the living crap out of the ball. Like I don't think people realize how hard Yandy Diaz hits the ball because of the fact that he doesn't hit 40 home runs or whatever it may be. A lot of it's just line drives and doubles and hard ground balls that get through. He's always going to be a guy with a really high habit. And I think that's part of the reason why he hit for such a high average. But last year, it just seemed like it all really came together for him on another level. We saw what he did in 22. And I think people were like, that's awesome. We've always known he could swing it. 20, you know, 2022 was a, another level of swinging it. Can he do it again? And he did it again. He doesn't strike out. He walks, he hits the ball consistently, and he hits the ball consistently hard. I feel very good that this guy's going to be kind of what you what you see. Like he's going to hit the way that we have seen him hit. And I don't think he's going to slow down anytime soon. So Savant just added EV50, which is sort of kinda um what 50th percentile exit velocity yeah it's yeah. an average of the hardest 50 percent of his batted ball so it takes out all the little dinkers and all that um yandy diaz was 10th in all of baseball he was right behind jordan alvarez so he his 50th percentile ev was at 104.3 miles an hour that is right behind olsen alvarez devers and juan soto that's just ahead of mike trout Vladdy jr Julio Rodriguez, Bryce Harper. He's elite. He's top 10 in baseball at hitting the ball really freaking hard. It just, it looks like doubles. It doesn't look like 40 homers like Jordan Alvarez and, and Aaron Judge. And frankly, that's okay. Especially when you are an average defender at first base and you walk with the best of them. 330 and you're hitting the ball as hard as Juan Soto. Damn. Yeah, that that's the the crazy thing is, is again, like, He's not going to hit you 40 bombs. He has the power to hit 40 bombs, but he said, I'd rather hit for average and I'll still hit my bombs. I'll still, I'll still hit my homers. And it's just a rare combination. I think of contact rate and, and power that you're just not going to find too often. And I think that's part of what makes him you know, so special. It's, it's funny. I I'm even sorting it on my end. You know how much I love 90th percentile exit velocity, especially yeah. with prospects, but you look at it with, with Yandy Diaz. It, I, I, just was wanted to see like a a graph of you know the x-axis and y-axis being you know 90th percentile exit velocity contact rate right that's like you do those both of those things really well you're going to be a very damn good hitter and when you look at what you know Juan Soto does versus what Yandy Diaz does it's more similar than people would think in terms of the batted ball data and where they line up on the contact rate in the 90th percentile exit velocity range there um which is a, just a testament to how good of a hitter he is. It's funny how it kind of took him a little bit longer to finally settle in and, and have it all click. And of course it's the rays that identify him and, and have him just kind of put it all together. But when you look across the board, man, like I'm trying to see players that have a 90th percentile exit velocity higher than him and a contact rate higher than him. He's kind of in his own area 
uh, on on the graph, which is pretty awesome to see. Like Juan Soto's 90th percentile exit velocity was 108.5 miles per hour with an overall contact rate of 79%. Yandy Diaz's was 109 miles per hour with an overall contact rate of 82%. So by those metrics, performs better. The difference is Soto hits the ball out of the yard more and walks more than anybody on planet Earth. So that part of it is what separates him. But he's really put himself in a bucket, you know, with some of the best hitters in the game. And you know, that that's a pretty remarkable thing to do at age 30 and then now 32 years old. Yeah, 100%. Number four, Pete Alonso of the New York Mets. And it was a conversation, but not really a conversation about four versus three, especially with a newcomer that we're about to get to at three. Um, but Alonso at 29 years old. Per 162 games, he's hitting 45 homers and driving at 118. And guess what he did in 2023? Hit 46 homers and drove in 118. He had a 121 WRC+. plus. He was a three-win player, hit 217, which was the lowest clip of his entire career. He's a solid defender at first base. Here's the thing. He's never going to get lower than 217 because, again, he doesn't punch out. We enter a new level of power hitter. I think when you enter the top, I guess, six of this list, right? Maybe top seven of this list because Goldschmidt, he's not a 30% K-rate guy either. There's really no flaw in these power hitters game. And when you see prodigious power in the minor leagues, chances are it comes with a K-rate in the low to mid 20%. Mm-hmm. But for Alonzo, like, for 45 homers a year and to be one of, if not the best run producer in all of baseball to come with like a 15% K rate, it, it just, it blows my mind. And I cannot believe that Steve Cohen has not paid this guy yet. Yeah. It was interesting to see it kind of inflate a little bit last year. Cause he's always hovered below 20, at least for the last two full seasons and, and inflated yeah. up to, to 23% last year. But I also felt like he had some bad batted ball luck. You look at the X Wobo, it was 370, the Wobo is 346, and a bad bit of 205. He's never going to be a guy with a high bad bit because he hits the ball in the air so frequently, and home runs don't even count towards that. So a lot of his hits end up just not even counting towards the bad bit, and then you're going to get a lot of flyouts. Uh, but when you have 86 home runs over your last two years, yeah, uh, and you don't K, it's pretty hard to argue against that. I I, I would put a lot of money on him uh, hitting better than 217 next year. It was surprising to see that. My one bugaboo, I guess, with, with him like is I would like to see him walk more. It's not that he doesn't walk. He's Yandy Diaz, you know, walks a little bit more though. And I'm looking at guys like that and I'm like, I don't know. I, I just I would like to see him walk more considering that he's never gonna hit for a high average. He's gonna slug over five hundred, which he's slugging five twenty-eight for his career. But I think you could make the case that Yandi is in that conversation right there with Alonzo. Like, I, I I start to look at what he does. Like, yeah, you're going to get a lot of home runs. But how else is he going to produce for you if he's not hitting home runs? You're not going to get a ton of doubles. You're yeah. not going to get a ton of hits otherwise. It's 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 home runs. But the thing is, is how many guys on this list are going to hit you 50? Um not many more and not really anyone other than who we're talking about now and who we're going to talk about on the next couple. So like, that's the thing is the 50 home run upside. And at first base, I probably look at war. We've talked about it and it still matters, but you're going to look at war a little bit less than other positions. And that's why guys with lower wars are, you know, edging out some of these other guys. But um, I don't know, would it shock you if Yanni Diaz had a better year than Pete Alonso next year? And, and by what metric, you know, is it WRC plus? Are you specifically looking at like at first base? I want bombs. But that said, if you give me a 164, 
WRC plus, like that's 40 points higher than Pete Alonso. Yeah. So I, by WRC plus, I'm not shocked at all. If Yandy Diaz has a better year than Alonso. Um, I think Alonso is actually one of the, one of the throwback guys where I, where I almost like, I don't know, say, say, say run production does matter. I guess mm. that's probably the best and smartest way that I could put this. It's like RBIs don't matter for many, but they matter for him because he's in the matter. He's in the middle of that lineup and he's grown up on driving in runs. That's and the true. fact is he's just really fucking good at it. Yeah. I, I, and, and what does he do? Well, you know, better than most power hitters is put the bat on the ball and, and hit fly balls. Yeah. And, and it's so things. situational too, right? Like I just think this guy is an RBI accumulator and oh, I value valid. his RBIs more than, more than many others. 120 is rookie year. Of course, 2020 was shortened. 94 in 2021, 131 driven in in 2022, 118 driven in 2023. Um, there's just something to say about the, the ability to drive in runs. And and again, I've talked to hitters about it and and a lot of them, almost the overwhelming majority have told me that, yeah, it can be kind of a fickle stat, but if a guy is really good at driving in runs to your point, they're good at driving in runs. There's some guys that just are more comfortable in that situation because it gives them a task. It gives them a job instead of just yeah. go deep. Um, I don't have to go deep here. And usually guys like that, that really get comfortable in those situations consistently do well. And I think that's exactly what Pete Alonso does. And that's why he's driven in almost 350 runs over the last two years. Yeah. Getting into the top three. Number three is Bryce Harper. And it wouldn't shock me if he's you know, number one on this list somehow by the end of this year, because now he's playing full, full-time first base for the Philadelphia Phillies. And he's probably going to be a great defender there. You know, like it's just, it's not going to be surprising if he turns into one of the better. We, we've talked about it. You said you wouldn't be shocked at all if you won a gold glove there. But at the end of the day, we're here to talk about Bryce Harper's bat. And Bryce Harper's bat is as good as they come. Right? And, and and that's just something that we just continue to see year in, year out. So it came off of you know an elbow surgery and basically he's able to just pick up right where he left off and continue to hit. In 126 games last year, a 142 WRC plus, he slashed 293-401-499. Uh, I, I keep going back to that 2021 season because he was banged up in 2022. You know, we saw what he's done in the postseason, but I think that 2021 season is about to happen again, which was MVP 309, 429, 615 slash final 170 WRC plus one of the best second halves we've seen in a very long time, 35 bombs and a 17% walk rate. I think a full healthy season here where he's playing the same position and he's walked in on a lineup. That's really good. I think we're going to see that, 170 WRC plus type season from him this coming year. And here's the thing too. I think he's going to accumulate war because like we said, he's going to be a good defender. I think he's been working at it and it's going to be light work for him at first base. He's going to turn into, I think a, a well above average defender there and wouldn't surprise me if he has a six win season this coming year. Career walk rate for Bryce Harper. What do you think it is? I'm not looking. Um, 15%. Yeah, 14.9%. Wow. Yeah. 21% K rate, 15% walk rate for Bryce Harper. People didn't want to throw to him when he was 19. <laughs> like, <laughs> this guy, he had a 340 OBP when he was 19. And then all of a sudden, you get an 100-point jump in batting average to OBP in his age 20 season. And now, we're looking at a guy that, like, may flirt with 300. His MVP year, he hit 309. Like, that same year, got on base at a 429 clip. This past year... 
yeah, he was flirting with 300, but he got on base at a 401 clip. Mm-hmm. If he's healthy and if he puts a little bit of fear into opposing pitchers, he's going to put up a 400 OBP. And that's always going to help the WRC plus. Yes, it was a 900 OPS. The slug may not be under 500 for the next five years. Like he was playing with a broken ass elbow, like a torn UCL. And he put up a 499 slug. Seeing this guy be comfortable, enter camp as a first baseman and enter camp with a properly constructed elbow. Yeah. I cannot wait to see what this MF does offensively, just in terms of the production numbers too. The last thing I'll say is when we get into this nitty gritty area where you know you're splitting hairs and you'll see on the rankings, like there's a lot of mixture here. Peter had Harper at number one, valid. Yeah. I think you can make a valid case for any of these guys one through three that we're going to talk about. Um, you know, you had him at three, Leo had him at three, I had him at two. Uh, a separator here could just be how damn good Vice Harper is in the postseason. And I don't like over overreacting to one postseason, but how about two? How about three? Like, how about just seeing what he has done now in multiple postseasons and and just how insane he is? Um, you don't have the number six WRC plus and fifty five <sighs> plate appearances during the playoffs. Do you have the career numbers in front of you? Don't I, don't get them. Don't get them. Don't. Okay. Okay. Forty nine career postseason games. How many homers is Bryce Harper hit in forty nine games in the postseason? In forty nine games. Yes. I'm going to say 12. 16. What? I thought I overshot it. Nope. OPS in 49 postseason games. Well, now now I think it's going to be way up there. Uh, 1150? No, 996. It's no fun anymore when you... Doesn't it always suck when when someone overshoots it? Just makes it lame automatically? But like... But I thought I did it with the homers. I didn't overshoot the homers. No, like 49 games... 16 homers and a 996 OPS. That's the only reason why I said 1100 is because you, you, what's right. the what's the, the home run pace there? That's but even just oh. round numbers. So let's say the third it, of the season, 16, 32. It's a 48 home run pace. 162 divided by 49 is 3.3 times 50 16. Home 53 homers. Yeah, that's disgusting. That's gross. So yeah. that's what we got going, man. Um, boy Harper. At a boy Harper. Number two is Matt Olson of the Atlanta Braves. And this was one where, again, it's it sprayed. I had him at two. You and Peter had him at three. Leo Morgenstern had him at one. Finkelstein had him at two. Um, he is a good defender at first base. For some reason, outs above average doesn't like him. Eight defensive runs saved. At the end of the day, this guy slugged over 600 last year. And, okay, loaded lineup, a lot of protection. It's really hard to poke a hole in 54 bombs and 139 driven in and a 6.7 win season with a 160 WRC plus. That's my thing. Like age aside, I don't really care. Olsen turns 30 in March. Harper's 31. Like that, that's no differentiator. For me, Olsen logged 720 plate appearances. This guy was on the field all the time. He's been on the field the entirety of his career. He is as much of an Iron Man as it feels like Marcus Semyon and Freddie Freeman are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bat, we were expecting something crazy when he came over from Oakland because mm-hmm. this guy had a 40 homer season in Oakland. He comes over to Atlanta, takes a year to get his feet wet. And now that his feet are like totally under him, 54 homers in a loaded lineup. 
yeah, you, I'm glad you brought up that point about what we we're expecting out of Oakland. I'm like, oh my God, get him out of there. Now he's going to be right. insane. He's going to hit 50. And it didn't happen right away. There was a lot of moving parts to new, new environment, going back to where he grew up, uh, the whole Freddie Freeman saga, new new clubhouse. So, so many variables there. But he still had a good year, right? He's still a three-win player. He's still had a 120 WRC+. He still drove in 100. He still had 34 home runs in 22. But I'm glad you brought up the the change in environment and, and the 2021 season, though, in Oakland, his final year there, because I would love to be that asshole who just sits on his, you know, sits in his chair and just looks at a really good season and says, got to see him do it again. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, we don't, because he did it in Oakland. I think that the 2021 season in Oakland was probably almost identical to the caliber of performance of what his season was in 23, I think, because he, he was in a worse lineup. Uh, he was in an environment that is really hard to hit in. And I think that was pretty much just getting right back to, to what he was becoming in, in 21, the buffer year in 22. But I imagine if he took his 21 season and put it in truest in the Braves lineup, he probably puts up similar numbers back then too. So it was cool to see it all come together. Um, it's cool to see him really just continue to cut down on the K rate. I know he he did that big time in 21, but still yeah. just to keep it at 23%, walked at the highest clip of his career, 14.4%. You mentioned the defense, 139 driven in, in that lineup is absolutely absurd. Um, he's just a special power bat who you mentioned gives you some value with the glove and you know, just almost produced a seven-win season. I think he's going to do something close to it again, too. I, I think he's going to be that 21 and 23 version of himself that we've seen where it's going to be five to six wins, and he's going to just continue to play ball. Um, he's he's a really, really good power hitter, man. I I still can't believe the Braves got him for what they got him for. And yeah. the guy slugged 600. Right. Slugged 600. That's, that's all you got to say. The, the only way that I think you can even start to apples to apples his 2021 to 2023 is WRC plus. And he was 13 points better in that department in 23. He had a 160 this past year. In 2021, he had a 147. Yeah. Um, I, I think Harper can be sexier. That was a really hard thing for me to juggle. I was like, who's two? Is it Harper? Is it Olsen? Is it Harper? Is it Olsen? I'm going to have more fun watching Harper. I know that mm -hmm. he's a more exciting player. He's going to sell way more jerseys. I just, I, I can absolutely close my eyes. And at the end of the 24 season, see a higher war number for Olsen than Harper. Well, and, and I know Harper's had some, you know, extenuating circumstances when it comes to just like these injuries and just play through them and come back quicker than most. And I don't think he's an injury liability no. moving forward, but you got to reward the guy that's played 162 games two consecutive years. Right. And then even the year before that, 156. And he's played 162 three times now in his career. So like, uh, when we're splitting hairs, yeah, you can give Harper credit for the postseason. You got to give Olsen credit for being available. Right. Like that, that is a really important aspect of this, especially at first base when you, all we want is for you to hit. You know, I don't need you to play a good shortstop. I don't need like I need you to be in the lineup and mash. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, and, and it wasn't like he was DHing days either. He didn't DH once the whole year, but first yeah. every single game. So I, th that's got to be rewarded in, in the rankings. Um, speaking of constantly being on the field since 2018, I think you can tally on one hand of the number of games that our best first baseman has missed oh i mean uh you can it was three since or so what you said since what year since 2018 maybe two hands since, i'll since do it 20, while you... oh 2018 now it's it's five <laughs>
Let's it's see. five. It might be five. I'm going to do the tally. You oh, no, it's a little bit more. It's yeah. a little bit more. I'll do it's the tally. You give him the lowdown, and I'll, okay. I'll have a number. Um. Well, we're going to talk about a guy here in Freddie Freeman of the Los Angeles Dodgers who has given you two straight seven-win seasons. If you combine 2022 and 2023, 15 war. 15. Have you ever heard of a first baseman having an eight-win season? It's just insane. 331, 410, 567, slash on 29 home runs, 23 bags. This dude was 23 of 24 in the stolen base department in his age 33 season. Who the hell does that? I know they made new rules, but usually if you're a first baseman or a guy like that's first baseman on the other side of 30, I'm not even paying attention to the new stolen base rules. I don't care. I'm only paying attention to it as it pertains to the the pitcher picking off and throwing it over to me when I'm playing defense. Like I, I would never have thought that Freddie Freeman would take that and say, you know what? Maybe a 2020 guy now. It's exactly what he was. And not just a 2020 guy. This isn't a Shohei Otani 20 stolen bases. Sorry, I know Peter likes to talk about how he's fast. This ain't a Shohei Otani 20 for 27 yeah, on the stolen base. It's 23 for 24. It's efficient. But 29 home runs, yeah, it's not as many as some of the other guys. But there's a lot of different ways that you can slug 570 or 567. And if you're hitting 59 doubles, holy shit, you're going to slug still. Whether you hit 20 home runs, whether you hit 10 home runs. If you had 10 home runs and 60 doubles, you're still going to be slugging well. And that's exactly what Freeman did. When it comes to just being a complete player and a complete hitter, it, Freddie Freeman embodies that. He walks. He doesn't strike out. He hits, still hits homers. He hits for average. And he hits as many doubles as anybody in the sport. Um, it's it's impossible to poke a hole in his offensive game. And now the fact that he can just steal some bags too, it's, it, it's almost annoying how good Freddie Freeman is. He has missed 11 games in the last six years. 11. He's never missed more than four in the last six years. That is unbelievable. He had 59 doubles last year. You mentioned the doubles. But I'm just looking at the career numbers. He's 79 homers shy of 400. He'll get to 400 before his career is over. He is... Let's see. He might do this before the All-Star break. He's 27 doubles away from... 500 career doubles, he'll do that. He is 886 hits away from 3,000. That's a tough one. If there's anybody... I think he gets there. If there's anybody that's going to get there playing baseball right now, I do think it's Freddie Freeman. I mean, he just hit the most... He just had the most hits of his career. 211. 211. On 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 the heels of 199 the year before that. He's going to get darn close. And then here's my other question. How high can he get up in the doubles department? So you said he's going to get to what this year? 500. He'll get to 525. So 500 would tie him with John Ulrich. Oh, Oh, nice. Sneaky good career, by the way, too. Uh, Babe Ruth had 506 doubles. He he was all about the homers. But if he can get to 600, which I think is a fair plateau, like that's a fair marker, right? You think he's going to probably pretty reasonably get to 600 doubles? Um, four or five more years. Yeah, he can get to six fifty. I did forty five doubles a year for the next four years would get him to six fifty three. Where do you think six fifty would put him? Top ten in doubles. Top ten. Number nine, just ahead of Carl Yaskremski. The only guys ahead of him would be Napoleon Lejoy, George Brett, Craig Biggio, Albert Pujols, Ty Cobb, Stan Musial. Pete Rose, and Tris Speaker. And I think there's a realistic scenario where he is in the top 
six or seven. He, I, could he get to the six sixty range with the with the doubles, or is that a little outlandish? No, he's six fifty three if he's forty five a year for the next four years. I mean, he could be he could be right there in the top five all time in doubles, and like that's a, I, like I know we love the home run titles, but like. Can we can we put some respect on doubles? I don't care about triples as much either because there, there's a lot less in control when it comes to triples. Yeah, I want to I want to start having a little bit more like double appreciation, and whether it's in a single season or whether it's all time, like let's put some more respect on doubles uh, because that's not as much of a PED influence statistic either. Doubles, doubles. I'm here for Great. it. How about the base hit? Are you in on the base hit yeah, or is that those? No. Yeah, I figured. No. All right. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Freddie Freeman, it, it was like without a doubt the best no. first baseman in baseball. And what is it? I think only one guy. Yeah, no, uh, no we Leo. Had two. We had two yeah. votes for two. We had Peter and we had Leo. Yeah, Peter had Harper one, Leo had Olsen one. But again, you... valid, but right. I just also not totally valid because Freddie Freeman had an eight more last year and was just perfect. So Freddie clears. But I, I think all three of these guys are, you know, in their own in their own bucket, kind of, uh, yeah. to be fair. Thanks for joining us. You know how Peter always tells me that I hate the company? Guess what? I'm wearing a shirt. Screw you. We're both dude. wearing the same shirt. We're wearing, wearing the same shirt. Baseball athletic polo or athletic t-shirt, long sleeve. Mm-hmm. Also, the polos are awesome, too. I golf in that all the time when I do get to golf. Get anything. Yeah, go get a windbreaker. Go get a flag. We have flags. Windbreaker also underrated. Yeah, well, yeah. Dude, this is crazy. We got flags too. We got we got we got everything. I don't know. Deck out your college dorm room. Whatever. Uh, go check out the site. Awesome stuff on the site as always. Leo did a great job writing up the first baseman article. Um, check out the call up. Having a great topical conversation over the last few. Uh, best shortstops in the minor leagues just came out on Monday. We'll have uh, Yankees top prospects coming out on Friday. And uh, I think Peter and Aram will talk to you from the Sin City on Friday. Thanks, guys. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.